Okay, welcome to the UFF UCF podcast. In this episode, we're going to be speaking about the 1968 Florida teacher strike, which I personally think um, is a really important strike in the history of, of labor in Florida. But not only is it an important strike, I think it is also the origins of our very own faculty union, the United Faculty of Florida. And who I have today is none other than, I think, the foremost expert on Florida faculty unions. And I think I'm pretty um, pretty certain saying that. If not, um, he can correct me. But we have uh, Dr. Jody Noel joining us, um, who is a lecturer at Georgia State University. Thank you, Jody, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. <laughs> so can, can you introduce yourself a little? You come from a long line of labor. Um, I'm just going to assume activists, maybe not, but you come from a long line of, um, of people um, who are interested in writing about labor history, don't you? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so I'm originally from Gainesville, Florida. Um, and I guess, you know, kind of Florida history uh, and education in general is in my blood. Um, my mother was a teacher for 40 years, an elementary school teacher, um, and my father, uh, and a member of the FEA, and ACEA, Alachua County Education Association. Um, and my father was a public school teacher for 25 years, as well as a history professor at the University of Florida, um, and was a member of the FEA and ACEA, as well as now uh, UFF. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up, born and raised in Florida, um, through a family of educators, which is, I guess, a good explanation of how I got into this topic as well. Sure, sure. And again, I think um, the 1968 teacher strike is something that's not been written about a lot, which you are correcting right now as we speak. But I think it's actually uh, is, an, is an event that um, should enjoy more focus, right? I mean, um, I'm president of our chapter and I, I always, you know, this might be just because I'm a historian and I'm familiar with labor history, but I've always felt a debt to the 1968 teacher strike. So I'm really excited to, to have you in and um, having this conversation with you. And so let's let's start off with the 1968 teacher strike. How how did it come about? And I know like if I were to pull someone aside in our chapter and say, did you know teachers went on a strike in 1968? They wouldn't believe me. So <laughs> what can you tell us about the, the origins of the strike? Yeah, so the origins of the strike, I would say, really began in the 1960s um, with there's a couple of different dynamics that are occurring. The first one is that Florida's witnessing a monumental population boom. Um, and so schools are becoming overcrowded. They don't have the infrastructure to deal with the sheer number of new students who are coming into the state um, from these transplants, um, you know, who are moving in from the Midwest and the North um, and other places like that. Um, and so teachers really in the early 60s begin to say, we need more funding. We need to fix the education program within the state of Florida. Um, and then on the, that kind of same um, note, politicians were beginning to pay attention to it as well, to education as well, because what was happening was they wanted to recruit these kind of young working population, young people who highly educated, a lot of times engineers to come down from the space coast and other places like that. Um, so they wanted to have a good school system to say, look, come down to Florida, you can enjoy no state tax, no state income tax, the beautiful weather, and we have this fantastic education system, which they didn't really have. 
um, at that time. So by 1965, the National Education Association comes in and runs a report uh, of the state of affairs within education um, in Florida, K through 12 education within Florida, and basically says this is a disaster. Um, it's overly political. Uh, you have legislators such as the pork chop gang, um, you know, the group of rural legislators who really dominated Florida's politics, who have zero interest in improving education. Um, and teachers don't really have a say in policy. They don't really have any power. And so 65, I think, is kind of the first moment where you can see that trouble is brewing. Um, and that's with that NEA report. Um, and then you have the 1966 uh, governor election, which led to the election of Claude Kirk, the first Republican governor uh, to be elected in Florida since Reconstruction. And Kirk is this interesting figure um, who wants to change a lot within the state of Florida. Um, and one of the things he wants to do is he says he's going to make education number one in the country. Um, but his plans to do so don't really meet teachers' ideas of how they'll improve education. Uh, Kirk is running on, he'll never raise taxes. Um, he wants to modernize the education system, meaning he's trying to implement plans of merit pay. It's a lot of similar things that we kind of hear about education reform today. He wants to implement merit pay, get rid of teacher tenure and continuing contracts. He doesn't want to raise funding. His ideas are, if we run education as a business, we'll be able to run it much more efficiently, um, and therefore we don't need extra uh, funding. So he wants to bring in business people to run education. And so him and the teachers, the FEA, and teachers across Florida really um, come into conflict almost as soon as he's elected. Um, and then that leads us to uh, what is referred to as the crisis of 1967. And the crisis in 1967 is essentially the beginning of teacher militancy in the state of Florida. Uh, the NEA, they asked the National Education Association to place sanctions around the state because Kirk is refusing to do anything. Um, what they want is increased funding. They want collective bargaining rights um, to be accepted within the state. And they, they want the continuance of tenure and the continuance of um, you know, seniority-based raises, not merit pay. These are the things that they're really demanding. Um, and the increased funding is because they say we can't adequately do our jobs. Um, we're teaching. Uh, most of the schools at the time didn't have air conditioning. I mean, that seems like a, something we take for granted for. But in 1968, teachers are saying, we're teaching in Florida. Do you know how difficult it is to get students to pay attention when they're in a non-air-conditioned building? Um, they're talking about decrepit buildings. They're talking about, you know, students falling through the ceilings and stuff like that and how difficult it was, how difficult these conditions were to teach in overcrowded classrooms. And so their idea is that, if you increase the funding, we will actually be able to do our jobs. And I'm, do sorry, I'm sorry, but so, so students are presumably on a second floor and they were falling. Through. Yeah, there's a couple stories. A literal like that. story. Yes. Yeah, there's a couple stories like that. Um, they talk about cockroaches just all over the place. Um, there's actually a, a protest song from the Escambia County Teachers Union that has jokingly talks about these things, but there are kind of noted just how disgusting and decrepit these schools were at this mm -hmm. point. Um, and so they're wanting an increased infrastructure. Right. So, so for clarity, and I'm sure a lot of people listening may not realize this, but there actually was a union or a professional organization in place, right? What we're talking about is organizing for a strike, right? 
Yeah, so there is at this point the Florida Education Association, which is a professional organization, which is a um, member of the National Education Association, the NEA, which both of them at this time had no strike stances. Um, They thought that it was not appropriate for teachers to go on to strike. Um, And you also had the AFD, American Federation of Teachers, who at the time was trying to make a push into the state of Florida. So you have these kind of two competing professional organizations coming in at, in 1960s, in the 1960s. Um, and correct me, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but what also an event that preceded this was an integration of the FDA, right? Wasn't yeah, that's what I was. Yeah. Chapter yeah. and white chapter. Yeah, so 1965, um, the head of the National Education Association is uh, Broyolo. Royolo Alonzo, uh, who's a principal in Tampa, um, and he's the president of the NEA, and he says that we have to start integrating our Southern chapters. And so Florida becomes the first test case. Um, and they integrate in 65, kind of bleeds into 66 with the, the Florida FSTA, Florida State Teachers Association, which is the Black Teacher Professional Organization and the Florida Education Association integrate and merge by that point. So then, so now Florida is in 65 and 66 is the first um, state in the South um, to have an integrated teachers union, um, which is seen as this kind of really important moment um, in teacher unionism in general, because the FE or the NEA recognizes that in order for us to, you know, gain more power, we have to represent all the teachers and we need more people. And so Florida is going to become the first state to do that. Um, and in doing so, I think they create a much more, and, and it's certainly right. There's, there's issues going on with it, right? It's not this kind of purely rosy picture of integration. Um, there, there are kind of conflicts going on between it, um, between, you know, black teachers and white teachers and the organization and the structure and how all of these things are going to happen. But the bottom line is it does succeed. Um, and it does become the first integrated teachers union in the South. Um, and that, that is a fundamentally important aspect of this kind of growing sense of militancy within the state. Um, because so, you have, so what, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, no, you're good. When, when you're describing militancy, are you suggesting that the ideas and uh, per, persuasive moment of the civil rights movement bled into this teacher militancy? Oh, I certainly think so. Right. I mean, this is the 1960s um, and you, it's not just civil rights, right. You know, you have anti-war protests going on, student rights movements and the beginnings of second wave feminism and all of these different things that are happening. Um, And teachers at this time are also becoming younger. You're starting to see a younger uh, group of teachers entering the workforce who are heavily influenced. You know, they're on college campuses. They're influenced by all of this. Um, And, you know, in some of the oral histories that I've done, as well as oral histories that I've seen in some other dissertations, um, Black teachers especially talk about how they were influenced by the civil rights movement. And that led them to kind of, you know, naturally towards more forms of teacher militancy. Um, yeah, so I think that there's certainly these direct connections between the social movements of the 1960s. So, so what's the spark for the strike then? The spark is, so it's all those factors, but it's really Claude Kirk. Um, 
The, he uh, holds a special legislative session to improve education in January 1968. And in that session, there's a proposal to increase school funding. Um, there's a proposal to maintain um, teacher tenure and uh, continue, or continuing contracts, right, which is just similar to tenure, um, as well as, you know, kind of seniority-based races. There's a proposal for that. Um, it doesn't actually go enough. So the FEA is mad about this proposal. Um, and Kirk automatically says he's, there's no way he's going to sign this, that he's not going to sign anything into law that would increase taxes. Um, and so with that, with Kirk's threat of the veto, um, as well as the legislature at this point using the funding, increasing taxes and funding in the name of education, but only committing, I think they were gonna raise it 300 million and they only committed 100 million towards education itself, but all of it was in the name. Teachers said, we don't have a choice. We have to go on strike. Um, but there's also an important, I think, you know, kind of semantics. They don't actually strike technically. What they do is they walk out. They resign in mass um, because at the time, as there is now, there were laws that said teachers or public sector employees were not allowed to strike. Um, so this legislative session was seen as a maybe this will happen because in 1967, you keep thinking there's going to be a strike. They're going to walk out. This is going to happen. And they keep holding off um, until finally they after the legislative session, they say we have no choice that we literally did not get anything that we've been asking for and fighting for for the last year. And sanctions aren't working. Um, threats of a strike aren't working. So we actually have to do this now. We have to send in our letters of resignation and we have to force the state to actually, um, and especially Claude Kirk, to actually listen to our demands and make a difference in education. Now, um, one of our current um, chapters of UFF, um, East Florida State College, which at the time I believe was Brevard, Brevard Community College, right? You had told me they also joined the strike. Can you talk a little bit about that as the yeah, only they, place of higher education in the 68 teacher strike? Yeah, they did. They were led by a professor named Robert Canney um, I think was an English professor who at the time um, was heavily involved in the civil rights movement, was heavily involved in academic freedom movement and all of these other things. And at the time, um, most community college professors were members of the FEA. And so they decided to have a solidarity strike where they went on strike. They didn't, they refused to teach their classes. Um, I think it was it was a smaller number than most, I would say somewhere between 20 to 30, um, ended up going on strike and staying on strike for about two weeks. Um, and then they were some of the first, I believe, who were really threatened to come back or you will not have a job anymore. Um, and so theirs was not necessarily one of, we need improvements for our school, it was more of a solidarity strike that we need to show solidarity with the teachers around the rest of the state of Florida. Um, and then they actually ended up having, there were a few arrests throughout, kind of all over the state, um, but, but it mostly wasn't the teachers who were going on strike. Uh, Robert Canny's wife, um, 
was arrested for uh, protesting, trying to support her husband and the other professors. Um, and Brevard is also the other county that um, they had a lot of solidarity walkouts. Students would walk out of their classrooms um, to support the teachers. And there's instances of students being arrested for truancy at that time as well. Um, but yeah, the, the BCC had the only one that I know of, the only community college that I know of in the state that had a solidarity strike and left to support the other teachers. Because also it would have benefited them. Remember, they're, they're also seeking collective bargaining rights. They, that's a big thing is they want union recognition in the state. And that was the only institution of higher learning, right? So the universities but, weren't involved at all. At that the point. universities were not involved that I have seen. Um, they, they, you saw a lot of um, faculty support from places such as the University of Florida and Florida State University, where faculty members are writing letters to the governor saying, you need to, that the teachers are right and we need to be supporting them. Um, that's actually where I got the title of my dissertation, We Are Not Hired Help, um, and maybe of my book is, it's from a University of Florida professor who's writing to Governor Kirk saying, teachers in Florida are fed up, and what they're saying is they are not hired help, or we are not hired help. Uh, we are highly educated, uh, trained individuals. You know, we're, we're skilled workers. We're not hired help. Um, and so that kind of becomes a rallying cry for a lot of the teachers as well. You know, that, that we are not hired help. You know, I think what they're trying to show society at the time is also that um, they should, teachers should be considered on the same level as doctors and engineers and the people that they're training. Um, Cause society really kind of looked at them and in many ways still does as we can kind of see what's happening right now as glorified babysitters and not, you know, skilled professionals who have trained for these positions. And so uh, one of the things you impressed upon me was, I guess, and I'm, I'm assuming you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the successes of um, this strike was embedding the right to collective bargaining in the Florida constitution of 1968. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that explains where our, current um, union, United Faculty of Florida, comes from. It sort of necessitates the formation of that um, organization once collective bargaining becomes a right enshrined in the Constitution. Yeah, um, you know, at, at the time of the strike, after it ends, it begins in February, and it ends around February 17th, and it ends, you know, mid-March. March 3rd is the official end, but teachers are going on strike. It's seen as a loss. And I think that's how the historical narrative has looked at the strike. Um, but if we kind of peel back the layers, we can see that in the summer of 1968, as the legislature is writing, rewriting the state constitution, they add a, um, they add a clause to protect collective bargaining rights for all public sector employees. In that same clause, right, in the Constitution, it also says that it's illegal for them to strike. But as I mentioned, in 68, it was still illegal for them to strike and they go on strike. Um, I, this is a fundamentally massive victory for educators in the state of Florida. Um, and I would argue around the country. You know, Florida is the first state to enact right to work laws. Um, and, you know, it's a heavily anti-union state. Um, and Kirk is heavily anti-union. He is basically running his uh, governorship, trying to keep unions completely out of the state. Um, so the fact that they were able to gain this um, 
it, it leads the way. So it, it, it's put in the state constitution in 1968, the constitution is ratified, and then it doesn't immediately happen because there begins to be uh, court cases. Um, the FEA and NEA sue over the no strike clause. Um, other groups are suing saying that they shouldn't be allowed to have collective bargaining rights. Um, and it ends up going to the courts and the courts uphold the uphold it and say, this is what needs to happen. And they, they develop a much stronger structure, right? Because all the constitution says is public sector employees have the right to collectively bargain, but there's no kind of language of what this would actually look like. Um, but yeah, it, uh, you're, you don't have UFF without collective bargaining rights, I would argue, right? I think that this is a fundamentally important aspect of it. Um, and it's, it, I would say that it leads Florida kind of into the more modern age um, and it paves the way I can't remember the exact numbers, but around the country, there's only about 10 and 68, 10 states in 1968 that had collective bargaining rights for all public sector employees. Um, and now you're looking at around 37 to 40. So in the 70s, you see this kind of explosion of collective uh, bargaining rights for public sector employees. And I think the Florida strike is fundamentally important to that. Um, it, it's a, I mean, I don't see any other way that we can look at it other than a monumental victory for the teachers and the education association and public sector employees in general within the state of Florida. Well, Jody, thank you for joining me. This has been a, a great conversation. And as I understand your, um, you, you currently have a book going through process. So I think when your book finally comes out, we should invite you back. Yeah, I would um, love that. When there's a, there's a point that um, listeners can actually purchase your book. They can <laughs> yeah, that learn a little bit more about it. Um, yeah, that would be excellent. <laughs> thank you again. And, and we'll, again, we'll mark our calendars to, to invite you back here. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much for having me.